Welcome to the Hockey Town West podcast. Here to talk all things Griffins, Firebirds, and Walleye are your hosts, Nick Harrington and Brandon Cook. Oh, well, happy Monday, gentlemen. As uh, if you're seeing, watching this on YouTube, you'll see that there's three faces here. It's not just me and Nick's ugly mugs here. We added Tyler's too. So Tyler Kuehl makes his return to the Hockey Town West podcast, and I am one of the hosts, Brandon. I'm Nick. And then Tyler, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. It was a very uneventful Monday in West Michigan, but elsewhere there was a lot happening. So, uh, yeah, not too bad. I got to wear shorts for most of the day. Uh, it was around 50 degrees and sunny in Grand Rapids, so I I can't complain. So not too bad. Yeah, you know, I work from home most days now, and I definitely grabbed my laptop and sat out on the deck for a good hour or two today. It was a nice, refreshing day here. Oh, yeah. Well, aside from the other things, but... Uh, Nick, how are you doing today, sir? I had to wear pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I work in an office with a tie. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Good. All right. Well, Tyler is joining us uh, because we had some interesting stuff to talk about. Because this episode, you know, we're going to talk about the Griffins and their amazing seven-game road win streak. Their six-game win streak they're on right now. We're going to jump into that. But there was... Some updates in the Hockey Canada case today, which, Tyler, you are much more educated on that than both Nick and myself, and maybe someone that's listening. So we figured bring you on, talk about this, kind of get caught up on it. Uh, we are going to timestamp in the description of the episode when this starts, because this is a triggering topic to some, and we want to maybe be respectful to that. So if you want to skip ahead to the Griffins talk, look for the time in the description below, and you'll be able to just skip right to the fun stuff there. But Tyler, why don't you educate Nick and I, kind of give us some background where this all started and how, how we got to today, which was, in you know, for the uneducated, even looked like an absolute disaster. It, boy, wow. It's crazy to say this now. You have to go back six years, and we can honestly say six years to win Canada won gold in Buffalo in 2018 beat Sweden. Yeah, Sweden losing in a gold medal game in the World Junior Championships. Tell me where you've heard that before. But a few months later, for those that don't know, and once again, this is people like, oh, we all know this, Tyler, skip ahead, whatever. I'll get to the point. In June of that year in London, Ontario, which is odd because typically Hockey Canada runs a lot of big events out in Calgary and out west a little bit. I never really knew that London was a place for this sort of stuff to happen. But obviously, junior hockey teams and 2018 team they're being celebrated at an event gala held by hockey canada partners there, all that good stuff and from what we learned today there was a press conference held by the london police services in order to kind of update people on an investigation and a lot of this stuff that they revealed kind of was talked about but wasn't confirmed but now it is there was an event and then after the event there a bunch of players went to a local establishment in london ontario and then after that one of the players went back to a hotel with a person that they met at the bar and long story short things happen and the victim involved was a victim of of alleged sexual assault she claimed that she was sexually assaulted and apparently according to what we learned today a a relative of the victim called london police filing a complaint and kind of asking what, how do we, what steps do we go forward through this? And what ended up happening was an investigation was opened, but it was closed in February of 2019. So give or take actual date, you're looking at about eight months 
or so, seven or eight months of an investigation. It gets closed, deeming that no charges were necessary. So unfortunately, this was not no one's radar. I didn't know about it. No one knew about this until 2022 when TSN's Rick West had received a report that Hockey Canada had had, had a settlement with this alleged victim for about three and a half million dollars Canadian for those I really care. Long story short was this came out and like, wow, why are they doing this for three and a half million dollars? What is the settlement? What does it have to do? Rick West had, and I believe, and I think Katie Strang did something on it as well. Long story short, this really rose back to the floor. And a lot of us said, why is this a thing? And why are we learning about this four years later? This is 2022. And so now we're, all this is happening and we're getting this information and there's hearsay about this happened to do with the 2018 team. And then the investigation was opened and all of a sudden people are like, wow, this is a very, very big deal. And obviously the investigation gets reopened and all of a sudden players on that team start coming out. I believe Kale McCarr was on the team too. Like guys and their agencies started putting out releases saying I was not involved. My client was not involved, blah, blah, blah. And it whittled down a list because at the time the alleged victim said that there were eight, uh, eight people involved, eight players involved. But long story short, it was determined over the last few weeks that five players are going to be charged for sexual assault. Alex Formanton, formerly the Ottawa Senators, he played over Switzerland. Dylan Dubay of the Calgary Flames. Michael McLeod and Cal Foote, both currently of the New Jersey Devils. And Carter Hart, goaltender of the Philadelphia Flyers. So those are the five players that got... It, it was initially reported that five players, they kind of left them anonymous, but then all of a sudden, five players got leave from their... were granted leaves of absence from their team. And then Formington surrendered himself to London Police Services. And then it came out later from the Globe and Mail in Canada that the remaining four players also reported themselves to police services. So all of this happening and before, before the players were revealed their identities, at least London police said, we're going to have a press conference on February 5th and we're going to kind of update with everything that's going on. And so they gave the pretty basic, you know, here's what we know. And this is what I just told you all that you were watching or listening. And they took questions from a lot of people. And of course, Rick Westhead was there. Um, Robin Doolittle from the Globe and Mail, our good friend Elaine Shercliffe from Full Press Hockey was there as well. She got in, in the question line, uh, London Press, T you know, CBC, CTV, Canadian Press, like everyone was curious on what, and they were asking a lot of the same questions of, you know, what can you tell us? What can you tell us? What, you know, what happened, blah, blah, blah. And, and both, um, both the detective involved as well as the London police chief, Ty Trung, both of them had initial statements and pretty much said, did a bunch of nothing. They said a bunch of nothing. They were saying there's nothing we can reveal right now. They did apologize to the victim publicly, which I know was a big deal for some. And I know to some people, they're just going to kind of roll their eyes and say, well, of course they're going to say that there's a bunch of cameras on them. And I, and I understand that, that feeling towards that, but everything was kind of going with this press conference today, as you'd expect, it was going very like, I remember I was in, in our little daily face off chat and we were kind of saying, well, this is a bunch of nothing. It's kind of what we expected. They were going to tell us the bare minimum. And the, they had initial court appearances this morning. The players were released on undertakings and the court proceedings are being adjourned until April 30th. So that was kind of the big news news of 
you know, what could happen with these players moving forward. And, but then uh, it was actually shortly after Elaine asked the question, cause she'd asked uh, the two uh, Trung and, and the detective kind of saying, what is the London police services doing to kind of educate people on sexual assault and, you know, how to treat people well and, and a very logically good question. A couple people later, Trung comes back to the mic and just has a brain fart, guys. It's the best way I can describe this right now. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now. Disclaimer, I am paraphrasing what he says here. He comes up and says a lot, you know, because a lot of the questions started to get pointed towards Hockey Canada, which obviously, yes, because the reason why this is such a big deal to so many people is because it involves hockey, especially in the Canadian media, Hockey Canada at, you know, a organization that is funded by the government, which means that taxpayers have something to do with it. And obviously people that put money in towards, you know, registration fees for playing hockey, you know, there's, there's a lot going on with this because there's a lot of intricate detail details and people at home, they can kind of look up. There was, you know, funds being put aside by Hockey Canada to kind of pay off these settlements and make sure, you know, nothing ever comes to light, gets swept under the rug and all that. So Trung comes up to the mic and says, I need to say something like, okay, well, this could be good. Cause obviously you could tell right away it was not scripted because their initial statements, both of them were scripted. And he pretty much says, once again, paraphrasing the, how we write about women and how we sexualize women. And he did use the word sexualize. It contributes to sexual violence how we portray them in music videos and media and how the media talks about them and all this stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Everything was going in terms of a, from a public relations standpoint. Cause I had to do a lot of work with the GRPD when I worked at a local radio station here in Grand Rapids. And I knew what they would, they would be very cut and dry, you know, give us the bare minimum half the time and say, we're trying really hard to figure this out. And obviously we can't reveal much and so on and so forth. So when the guy goes off script, that's when I knew that he was he was obviously annoyed about what was happening. Now, for those that don't know, Chief Trong was not the police chief at the time. He was he's been a police chief or police police officer in London before he took over the police chief job. And it but it was just like it was the most confusing thing in the world to all of a sudden just say, I'm going to say what's on my mind because right now you have to be careful with that. And I'm not, this is not about society as a whole with that, with saying about what's on your mind. I'm just saying in terms of being careful of not revealing anything or saying anything that could be out of line or to what they were talking about, affecting court proceedings and the investigation and so on. So when he comes up and pretty much blames other people for sexual assault happening, not the fact that these five players allegedly did this and the fact that it does happen, not the fact that these that people out there are horrible people for sexually assaulting people for other people. But we're going to blame the media and we're going to blame how we portray women and how they dress and all this other stuff. Like it's their fault. What kind of barstool nonsense was coming out of his mouth? Like, honestly. It was the most insane thing I think I've ever seen in a police hearing. Cause I, like I said, I've covered a lot of stuff. I covered a massive officer involved murder or homicide in Grand Rapids and nothing like this was said. 
because you have to mind your P's and Q's when you're talking about this stuff because you don't want to, you know, say the wrong thing. This guy said the wrong thing in front of millions of people. If you go on the YouTube stream, I think there were like eight or 9,000 people watching at one time. And I couldn't imagine because it was getting broadcasted on Sportsnet. I think TSN had it as well. Like these were getting put into prime television real estate. And this guy from London, Ontario says this. It completely ruins everything that had been talked about for the most part during this press conference. And we got the information that we wanted. And then we got, unfortunately, a little too much, at least opinion, from the guy that's head of police. And unfortunately, after that, everyone that was in line for questioning, it was unfortunately Elaine Shercliffe was already asked her question. She had to unfortunately go sit down. Everyone else just piled on because he... I can't, I don't know what that guy was thinking. And now here we are, we're waiting for April 30th now. And we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, that went horribly wrong for them. But now obviously there's, there's a lot. Oh yeah. He also mentioned he wasn't a hockey player. Like that was going to make a difference. Like he was trying to save himself. Like, Hey, I'm not biased. I'm not a hockey player. I'm a hockey player. If I heard someone did sexual assault, I'd want them to be to face the full extent of the law. I wouldn't care if you're a hockey player or not. Do your job and don't say something stupid. I, it's yeah. it's crazy, guys. It was it was a crazy. It was an hour. I think it was like an hour and a half. Ended up being an hour and a half long. And for five minutes, it was the, the cringiest bit of nonsense I think I'd ever seen in a police press conference ever. Yeah, it was watching it again. We weren't super educated on the topic. So one, thank you for going over everything and getting us up to speed with it as much as you possibly could with this. Because well, there, there's more stuff. This could be an, like we wanted to go through every detail of everything. We unfortunately would never get to the Griffins. At least we unless you wanted to talk into into Wednesday and through the all-star no. game and all that. Yeah, not not necessarily. Maybe for another time, maybe when it all settles down and wraps up. But, you know, thank you for getting us at least up to speed with it. And yeah, I mean, as people who weren't too in on what was going on, watching that unfold, as soon as he said that, it was immediate. Just, what are you doing? Like, this this, this went a completely different direction. And I don't know what guy in the media was the next guy to ask a question after that, but he went right in on it. And I, appreciate, I appreciated that a lot. He least and, started by saying, like, if anyone was wondering what question they should ask in line, all of a sudden, like, I know what I'm going to ask. I think everyone had that moment there and they all probably would have asked the same thing. And maybe, maybe some would have been more aggressive with it. Who knows? But it was unbelievable. And again, like it's not a Griffin's topic. It's not a Red Wings topic. Thank God. Thank God. We're not talking about that within our organization, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's hockey. It's something that has to be talked about and has to be addressed because there needs to be a spotlight on it because this stuff does happen everywhere and right. it goes unreported countlessly. So making sure it's in the limelight and, getting the focus it needs. It's unfortunate that we have to wait till April 30th now for uh, anything else on this. Who knows how much this will drift out of the limelight, but I think with how today went, it's going to help keep it in focus for quite some time. Right. And and truth be told, this does happen a lot. There'll be court proceedings where there needs to be more of evidence from the defense attorneys that like stuff like that will happen where it gets pushed months back. Um, it, that's just part of legal documentation and everything like that's not, that's not, you know, crazy. I know people want answers now. They want, you know, them to serve their justice now, if that comes to be the case. Cause obviously, you know, the innocent proven guilty nonsense. So that's why I'm not going to say those five players did it. We can all make our presumptions, but yeah, the, like this stuff will take time. 
And I, I can't remember This is, I'm once again, I'm, I might, I might be off on this, but I'm pretty sure I saw something. It might've been from Westhead or someone else. Like this might not get solved until 2026. Like that, that just logically what could happen. That's how long cases like this will take. So all that saying, you know, just, we have to be patient. I know we want answers now. We want to know what happened now, but it's, it's gonna, it's gonna come. It's just, we're gonna have to wait a little bit. And correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like at least as of until right now, uh, Hockey Canada still is not allowing anybody from the 2018, 2018 team any participation in inter- international games or anything, correct? I believe it's just those five off oh, the okay. top of my head. Um, the players, I think they said the players involved. And um, what also came out from today, the story of the fact that the since those players are on definitely four of them are current active NHLers, the Flames the Devils and the Flyers are all getting cap relief. They're all getting those players taken off the books. And I know a lot of people want are very angry about that. They think they should pay their dues. I am honestly like, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Some probably didn't know. Now everyone can make their theories on why Alex Formanton was not re-signed by the Ottawa senators after this past season, when this started to all come to light and that there were whispers that he might've been one of the people involved. But I don't think when the Flyers signed Carter Hart to the big deal, they knew. And I like I sorry, I don't I don't say that I don't think that. I'm just saying that there's a chance that they might honestly not have known that they were involved. That's when these all these contracts were signed, because all these guys, Dubé, McLeod, Foote, Carter Hart, all their contracts end by this year. Now, Foot and McLeod are on one year deals. So take with that what you will. Tom Fitzgerald is the GM of the New Jersey Devils, but I, you can honestly say like they just were focused on hockey and they overlooked anything that could be wrong with these players. Cause that's what hockey, did. that's what hockey is. And unfortunately we overlook big problems like, Oh, he can score. He can provide offense. He can be a good fourth line center for us. Great. Do what we got to do. So unfortunately that is the problem with our game and I'm hoping we figure it out and clean it up because it's wrong. It's stupid. And I've, I've been a part of it for my entire life and I've seen it firsthand and it's not good. I don't like it. And you know, one day hockey will be great once it's finished. Until then, we'll see. And we'll clarify too. It sounded like the detective said they had not spoke with anybody from the NHL during the time frame of this investigation either. So she said, I think she said in the last several months. Okay, got okay, um, gotcha. And so, which, which of course, I think one of the last question was how was Hockey Canada involved? Did Hockey Canada get interfere with their investigation? The previous one, which was at the point as there were no more questions being taken which would have, if there were any answers given, I think that would have been certainly noteworthy because I know people are pointing the finger at Hockey Canada for being involved. But like I said, we don't know and we won't know for a long time. It'll be interesting. It's something obviously we'll keep a close eye on and definitely bring you back in multiple times to probably talk about this in the future, unfortunately. We'll bring you in for other things too, we promise. But uh, Actual actual good stuff. Yeah, you're well. You're just more educated on the topic, uh, at least further back than we are now. Now that we're in on it too, uh, Nick, what did you have to add? Yeah, we'll bring you back for some fun stuff. You know, not something so, <laughs> so, um, so sad and just contra- not, I don't want to say controversial, but it just seems like the press conference. I turned it off after they blamed the media. I mean, I couldn't. I was like, oh, this is uh, the comments on the YouTube page were or like the YouTube stream was still on. Uh, that was supposed to be turned off at the start. Uh, so the police forgot that one too. Um, but it's uh, 
it sounds like they didn't want to give up too much information because I feel like that they might be in under investigation after, uh, based off of how the first investigation went. I, there's, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of questions being asked still. There, we we left with more yeah. questions than answers today, I think. Yeah. And unfortunately, the only real soundbite we got was them apologizing to the victim. Good, and then Chief Trung just going off script, and that poor public relations uh officer just sitting there off to the side i would have loved to have seen her face when that was all going down because there's no way in the world she wasn't wanting to tackle him and say stop talking please did they issue a statement afterwards about it or no nothing uh yet um i'm pretty maybe sure there's gonna be uh, questions and maybe in a, a meeting but unfortunately nothing that we know publicly know yeah that'll be what a lot of this is we won't know publicly for quite a long time until yeah. all of things are probably settled and done but after that, let's move on. Let's move on to a cheerier topic here because that's just, it's a hard one to talk about it. I mean, it's a reality that we have to accept, but God, you hate to have to talk about it within your favorite game that you love. But let's move on to the suddenly surging Grand Rapids Griffins who have won seven straight games in the road, six in a row just overall, haven't lost in regulation in their last seven. Guys, this is, this team's starting to become a wagon, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, they're doing what we thought they would do in the beginning of the season. I mean, yeah, the who first... they thought they were. Yeah, they're exactly who we thought they were. Um, I mean, we it there was a tough spot where I was like, uh, we, we went on like a six game road losing streak, uh, that I was kind of nervous, but uh, you know, we kept we knew that it was going to take a time for this team to develop and gel and get together, but it's crazy to see six straight wins on the road and seven straight wins. And they've done them in different styles, different ways, and uh, come from behind. They were tied, they were up, then they lost, and then they were up. And I mean, it's just it's just been a crazy fun atmosphere. Uh, Brandon knows, like I last year was my first year as a season ticket holder, so com- coming out like experiencing the downright lows <laughs> of this team last year, um, and then at la- the co- years prior that I was here in Grand Rapids, like it was just one game or two, so I wasn't really following them as much, but. Um, it's definitely got me thinking playoff hockey for this year with the way that and, they're playing. Yeah. And that's what I think. Cause after, it's funny after my last appearance, we're talking about how red hot they are and how great this team is like, Oh, they're going to be playoff bound. And they lost a couple of really tough games. And we're like, Oh, well, Tyler Jinx said way to go. Never come back on this program ever again. But what we've seen from this team is especially the three wins in a row where they had to come back the two insane games in Manitoba and, you know, coming back at home against Rockford and, and especially the way they, they like they gave away that game last Friday at, uh, in Rockford as well. And that was a, a really big tipping point for this hockey club of, you know, settling down, realizing, all right, guys, it's not over. We can still win because last year's team, they give up a lead that late or they go down four, one, Rio, whatever they get, you know, if they're behind by any deficit, just pack it in. This night's over. We're seeing a team that has the confidence and the grit. Dare I use the term we use for the Lions these days, but the the ability to not give up and not let up and continue to fight on. And it's funny to look back at the game against Rockford, you know, the latest win, the, the, the seventh win in a row on the road. Bergeron doesn't even get a point in that game. It ends his, he had a great point streak going into that. And he was a real big reason why the team was winning games and all these comebacks. And, you know, it's just, it seemed like 
everything clicks when it needs to. You know, we can obviously see the holes in certain spots of the game. I, I don't think, and I'm pretty sure Dan Watson will even admit this too when I, whenever next time I get a t- chance to talk to him. The Griffins really haven't played many full 60-minute games this year. I can probably count on my two hands, if not just one. And I think with the fact that they're winning games when they're not playing their best shows how dangerous they can be. And the fact right now, guys, that we're, we're talking on this February 5th, we're in the All-Star break right now, and we're talking about the fact that they are tied for second place in a division. It's Is it 2017? Are we sure we're not in that area? Because, guys, like, remember how far Texas was? They were like, what was it, like a baker's dozen ahead of the Griffins at one point at the top of the division? That Obviously, they slumped a little bit. They had some guys get called up to Dallas and, and what have you, and Milwaukee got really hot, but... The fact of the matter is this, the Griffins picked up wins when they had to, they got the two points when on many nights they should have had zero if, you know, or maybe one. And right now they're not just contending to stay in the playoffs or maybe sneak into that four or five spot. They're looking at getting a buy of that, that play in round and having knock on wood, potential home ice advantage. If they can keep it up at this rate. I mean, hockey is a bunch of ebbs and flows and roller coasters. So they might, you know, they'll hit a, they'll hit a downturn eventually for sure. But if they can stay afloat when that really when that mark hits their part of their season, you gotta like where they're standing going into the playoffs. I mean, I like I know there there could be a massive collapse. I mean, shoot, all of a sudden, I mean, teams can get hot because Chicago's in a playoff spot right now, and they were looking like the worst team in American Hockey League history two months ago. So, I mean, it's it's just weird how this game works, but you gotta like what's going on throughout this team, and it feels good. Because the last few years, even, you know, before the last year before the pandemic, they were looking good. They were going to make the playoffs, but they weren't going to go far. You know, this is the like we haven't had the feeling about this team in a long time, guys. Like that's that's what's really impressive about this group. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling. I love the feeling of it. Like you said, there's been so many crucial games that they've come back and and one or games that they've given up. I mean, shoot, I think of the last home game they had against Belleville, you know, start off with a three, nothing first period lead. And then you come out of the second period, you're down four to three and still somehow come out of that game with a win. And there's one guy kind of at the center of the consistency pile right now for me. And that's Sebastian Cosa. He the consistency in his game right now is unreal. And we saw this in Toledo last year. He started off. Eh, it was Okay. And actually, at this time of year, had a worse save percentage in Toledo last year and has a better save percentage in Grand Rapids than he did now then. So just what he's been able to do over the past since Christmas, essentially, you know, we posted a few weeks ago or a couple of days ago, how many what his change in his numbers has been and what his goals against is. And he was like at a 1.66 goals against since Christmas. I haven't done the math again since that Friday game, but. We stopped 25 for 27 in that game, looked absolutely incredible, and made some huge, huge saves in the shootout. One Dominic Koshik like at the end there to stop David Gust. I mean, the, the kid's on a heater right now, and I think that's the best thing that could happen for Grand Rapids. If he replicates exactly what he did in Toledo, starts off hot, or start, he started off pretty hot, not the best, but he was pretty hot. And then now he's doing this. If he can keep this going for the rest of the year, I mean, we've got something here. I'm interested to see what Dan Watson does going forward. If he uh, kind of rides Costa uh, a little bit more than he does Hutch um, after the all-star break. I know the, the plan's pretty much set a little bit for what they have for the week, but 
Yeah, I mean, Costa has been playing lights out. We kind of knew that this he, it takes him a little bit of time to get going, and then once he's there, he's steamrolling through people. So that is, I mean, it's huge to see because you can only, like I heard today, you only go as far as your goalie. <laughs> so if your goalie's playing well, you're going to go far. He can steal some games. And um, I thought, I was mad about Friday because they played so, like Costa played so well, and then for us to kind of give up that goal or give up those two, to go tie. I was, I was ticked. I was like, they're not playing well for him tonight. You know, it's what's funny about, you know, about the last few games was the game against Belleville for Villa Huso coming in. We knew that was, I knew that was going to be his one game, but Costa doesn't dress for that game. Like, okay, interesting. You know, I, Victor Bradstrom had that whole deal last year when we had, we had both Hellberg and Nadelkovich at one point. And we had, of course, we had Okanora. No, we had, it was Helberg, Okanora, and Bratcham. And I know Bratcham didn't even dress a couple of those games. And then all of a sudden, Costa doesn't even start the next night. I thought, well, if he's not going to dress one night, he might start the next. Well, he doesn't. And then Hutchinson doesn't have a great game on Saturday. Costa comes in, you know, shuts the door, helps the team come back and win. Or, yeah, it was just, it, it's crazy to see, though, the fact that that didn't get to him. Cause some goaltenders see that. And like, I, if I was in a situation, I'd be a little angry if I was not backing up the NHL goaltender. Cause if I'm Kosa, I'm supposed to be the NHL prospect. I'm supposed to be the big guy for this, this organization eventually down the line. So when I'm not that guy getting at least next to him, getting to kind of watch him firsthand, you know, seeing that, like I would be a little on the, on the ticked off side, but he comes back. The fact that he's showing confidence at this point of the season and he's able to get past any adversity, bumps in the road. That's important for his development, but also for what this team is doing this season. So I, I really like what Kosa is doing right now. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And I just hope he can keep it going. And I, I have confidence in him that he will. He looks like he's having fun while he's doing all this. And it got, in his position where he's at, there's a lot of pressure on him for the future. Like he's, you know, he's the future of the Red Wings in a lot of people's eyes. He's having fun probably in one of the biggest years of his career and being able to see him carry that attitude. We know he's an athletic freak of nature, so we know he's going to perform well, but be able to carry that attitude forward in going through those situations where he is, you know, not getting dressed those nights where he clearly should, in our opinion. And just to be able to do that, it makes you feel good for him. We're, we're, I'm the biggest coast of supporter probably in the fan base at this point, I will go to battle for that kid. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying every second of this. So looking forward to seeing him continue that. Always and, a fan of Edmonton Oil Kings, man. Former any Oil <laughs> King guy. I, I'm that, that's my Western League team. So that that I is fair. I think it's important too. Is like that the, each team that he's been on the last three years has played a very different style of hockey too. So like with Edmonton Oil Kings, he was getting like what 15 shots per game. Like against okay. him, not, it's not Marty Berdour bad, but yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't, he didn't, that was a really darn good team. If they didn't, yeah, two years ago when he went, was it 17, one and one or one and two? Like if they didn't have COVID and they had a playoffs, I, I think they would have won the Shino with cup. Like they were legit, but yes, they had a good team in front of them. And he, like, I mean, it was a great team. And that's where a lot of people were like kind of discounting him because he's like, well, yeah, anybody could save 10 shots a game or 15 shots a game. And well, he, then he you goes go the, in that and do that. It's yeah. for some of us. <laughs> oh, so I, you were a goalie, weren't you? Exactly. It's difficult <laughs> for some of us to stop 19 of 20 every night. 
I forgot. Um, but then he goes to the coast. It's a whole different style. So it's like, I mean, I, I can't remember what his highest shot against was. I think it was probably in the 40s, a couple games. But and then he comes here and he's between. He, I mean, he's consistently hitting 20 to 30 shots a game against him. So, um, I mean, it's good to see him succeed in different styles and different leagues. And like, it's he's only getting better. So. Uh, I think that's important to for us to see. And we knew this team was going to take time to gel. Like it was going to, they needed to learn the coach. The coach needed to learn the players. The players needed to learn each other. They needed to trust each other as well. And so like there was a couple points in the season where we are like, okay, here's, here's, here's our springboard. But I think we hit that springboard, what, seven games ago now. I think this is, I don't know if we can say we're going to be on the Milwaukee Admirals style right now of 12 in a row, but... <laughs> I think we're we're working up that way. So, it's looking yeah, good. I mean, the, Milwaukee's on some sort of ridiculous tear right now. Twelve wins in a row, I, I, unbelievable. Good for them, especially when there was a point in time we were like, oh, they're pretty even with us during our bad time. This is this is going to be something to watch out for this season. We thought they'd be a top three team, but thinking back to Friday's game, which you know, I don't think I mentioned at this point, you know, Griffiths win this game in a shootout. The weirdest part for me was the Griffins had struggled the past few games with their starts. Their starts weren't the best. And they had that game against Belleville, came out, scored three goals in the first period. Okay, first period, problem solved. We fixed it. Second period was a disaster. In this game against Rockford, the first and second were great. And the third was just ugly. Four shots on goal to Rockford's 12. They just really couldn't seem to get it together in the third. And I don't know what attributed to that. They didn't have a shot on goal in overtime. Rockford only had one. But, I mean, I think... This felt weird to see them struggle in the third. Um, no, I I really the thing for for Friday night's game was I think they had you know they had a lead and I only gave it up, but they quickly got it back. You know, I, I think they were just playing a little tentative. They were trying to protect the lead instead of trying they were trying to it's it's a really dumb saying, but they were trying to not lose the game instead of going out and trying to win the game. I know that might sound dumb to some people, but that's kind of that's the mentality of a game. You're trying to not allow the other team to score instead of going out and trying to score yourself. I mean, if anyone watches football, you know, anytime a team has lead with less than three minutes to go in the game, what happens defend, you know, defensive backs, linebackers, they play the prevent defense and quarterbacks are able to hit seven, eight yard slants and move up the field pretty quickly because there's so much room because teams just sit back. They don't attack. They don't pursue and they don't try to force turnovers. They allow the game to come to them. And that's when players make mistakes and, Players get careless. Simon Evans puts the puck over the glass and the ice hogs tie the game up late on the power play. So I, for me, I think that's really what it came down to. And, you know, you would like to see a team with a one goal lead, just kind of bunker down defensively and hold things down. That's what we saw the Blackhawks teams in the early 2010s do when they had a lead and they were stupendous. And this is a team that had both Antiniemi and Corey Crawford as their goaltenders. And they were able to hold on one goal leads like it was nobody's business. Unfortunately, not everyone can do that because we're the Grand Rapids Griffins. We're not a three-time Stanley Cup championship team. You know, that's just kind of how the game is played. So I think that has something to do with it. You know, I, I this is from my perspective, my analysis. So, you know, I could be wrong. I'm sure if Dan Watson was going to sit here next to me, he's going to probably say, nope, we played our game and we just messed up. But you know what that like, you know, no one's going to point the finger and say, this is what went wrong. You know, uh, intricate points, at least not to us. I'm sure they go to the, in the, when they watch film the next day or the next time they look at it, they're going to say, all right, here's what went wrong guys. This guy did this wrong. And, you know, point out very every intricate detail, but 
I just think a lot of it had to do with them sitting back and not really, you know, minding their P's and Q's in their defensive zone. And like, that's a really important thing for them to do going forward is not be scared to lose a game, be confident that they can win a game. And that's when you're going to start seeing them hold on to these leads late in hockey games. And which is obviously going to be important if they want to make it through the playoffs. I think you hit the nail on the head a lot right there, Tyler. Is like, I mean, they had, there wasn't a whole lot of penalties called in this game. There's only five. And two of them were in the third period, both against us. And they ended up scoring on one of those, Rockford did. So, I mean, once it was tied, I got nervous because we're not great in overtime. We're not great in the shootout. Um, I believe Kosa's, Kosa's numbers are better in the shootout than Hutch. If I I don't have the stats in front of me, but he's way better in the shootout than Hutch is. But as soon like we are not great in that three on three. I don't know what it is. I think it's more of an organizational thing because the wings aren't either. And it's the most stressful thing for me to watch is three on three overtime with our teams, both teams. Yeah, it's not the prettiest thing in the world, but hey, I'll, I'll take a shootout win when we can get it. And thinking of the shootout, you know, before we go to the ad break here, the, the lineup was interesting that Dan threw out there for the shootout. Seeing Elmer Soderblom lead that off. I was very confused. You know, you see guys in practice and I, you know, I did it even when I was in college we didn't really have a shootout. And when I was, you know, my semi pro days, we would end with, with breakaways with shootouts and stuff like that. If we ever got into it and, you know, sometimes you just see guys you think are favorable. I mean, there's, you know, if anyone remembers the post lockout, the first year, UC Jokinen was the best player and in the shootout, because he did the Forsberg and he was just lethal at doing it. It made no sense. He wasn't really good at anything else that year, but he was good in the shootout. Tyler Bozak did it for the Leafs for a long time. And maybe Soderblom would just look good, look looking good in practice. And Watson saw, hey, the kid's got hands. Let's throw him out there and see what happens. So that, that could be the reason. That makes sense. He does have good hands most of the time, too. And, you know, I can't talk him down to it. He's been playing significantly better the past five games. And uh, it's definitely noticeable. You know, we we call him Bambi on skates over here, thanks to our friend Devin Little pointing that out. And uh, he hasn't looked like Bambi on skates for quite a few games now. And we'll continue to point it out each episode that he continues to play well because we want him to succeed. We want him to get back to that, you know, level of where, you know, he's talked about as a potential red wing. But until the aggression and the consistency is there, it's not going to it's not going to happen. But. I think we need to hit an ad break. We can hit a couple more points on this game afterwards, but I think we have a couple obligations to DraftKings there. So Nick's going to read an ad, and we'll go over a couple more guys and then dive into the All-Star break after that. How's that sound? Yeah, I like the thumbs up there. All right, Nick, read the ad. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Currently, the Kansas City Chiefs money line is plus 105, so if you bet $5, you could win $10.25. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code THPN. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code THPN. The crowd is yours. Problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER 
or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467369 in Connecticut. Help available for prom gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Will Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. cdkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And we're back. Okay. So I said I've got a couple more guys to talk about from Friday's game. And one guy that's got to be talked about because he got back on the score sheet. It's been a minute and his game has been really consistent lately. We're just waiting for the offense to start to click, even though it was a really soft goal. Amadeus Lombardi got his fourth of the season. Oh, and... not Josiah Didier again with another soft floating wrister from the right point. Hey, I like those soft floating wrists. He's four the right for point. four guys. It's ridiculous. Can he do it more? Like. Hey, I'll take it. Whatever gets us goals, man. It is good to see him get on the score sheet as well. That was unassisted too, which was a weird, weird setup there. But Amo getting that goal, assisted by the journeyman, Brogan Rafferty, the million mile man. You know, it was just, it was a soft little tap in for Amadeus, but it it wasn't just that. If you watch the replay of it, he's fighting off a defender that's twice his size to get back to the front of the net to be able to make that play and showing just the... He just doesn't give up on the play ever from what we've seen. You know, we've talked about his takeaways. They're good. Everyone talks about his speed. They're good. His hockey sense, though, is just getting better game by game. He's easily a prospect that's impressing me much. I know we have a long way to go before we're talking NHL with this kid, but just his growth this year, and yes, it's not there on the score sheet, but on the ice, the eye test, he's he's passing it. I mean, I have nothing negative to say about Amadeus Lombardi uh, playing for my hometown Flint team. I, you know, it it's a jump, you know, to go from juniors to this. He's playing professional hockey. These guys, some of these guys are, what, 33? I don't want to call them professional AHLers, but uh, <laughs> after, so listening to Carter, yeah, after listening to the Carter Mazur interview, I don't want to say that. But, um, I mean, he... He's young. He knew coming in, it's going to be size. He's got to beef up. He's doesn't want to lose that speed that he had in Flynn either. But I think the goals will come. I think this year is really like him and Costa kind of, I feel like are going to be kind of on the same track. It might take him a little bit longer to develop uh, Amadeus than it is for Costa. But like this year, he's kind of in that fourth line, kind of feel it out, get, get the, you know, get accustomed to the size, the strength and the speed of this game. And I think next year he really takes off. The goals will come. I mean, you could tell in play he was a he was a goal scorer. Um, he was scoring goals. He was setting up people. I mean, he was all over the ice. And I and you see it here in firsts with him, and he's been consistent with it. So I think next year is really going to be his year to take off. And I think he could be you know leading the team in goals. You know, next year. Yeah, for for me, when he came in, uh, the first thing I saw was uh, he needs to get bigger. He was a very like his first game last year when I saw him in the locker room. I thought, yeah, he's he just came out of junior. Like there is a definitive difference between kids that come out of junior hockey at 2021 than guys do that come out of college, four year college guys that come out at 23, 24, sometimes 25 years old. There's there's a definitive difference. In, in masculinity, it seems like these guys are huge compared to some of these junior kids. So I knew that was going to be something he had to work on. He did do that. He looked a little bit more fit this time around. And 
And I think for him, yeah, it comes with confidence, I think. And getting a goal like that, because it had been, what, 23 games or something like that? It had been a long time. And so when you go through slumps like that as a player, what you have to do is you have to just find any way to get on the score sheet, whether it be an assist, whether it be you make a couple nice plays, or you get a goal. And it doesn't need to be a pretty one-timer, top-shelf, breakaway goal. It just needs to be anything could go off your face and into the net off your butt and into the net or in Lombardi's case working hard in front with your stick on the ice tapping out making it easy making it look easy on paper but something like that's going to give anyone confidence I mean it, it doesn't take a lot to get a good goal score going again but when they but it doesn't need to be fancy so when this happens I think you know it could lead I'm not saying he's going to you know score a hat trick against Manitoba this coming weekend but I think you know it's going to lead to some to some positives moving forward for him and more production and maybe an enhanced role. Cause you know, with how he's played and how other, some guys have really stepped up their game. He's been kind of lost in the shuffle at point. So I think this will be a great way to kind of turn his season around a little bit. And to next point. Yeah. If he keeps developing on this upward trend, you know, he could be, he's going to definitely be an important plea, important piece going on next season. And obviously maybe the year after too. Yeah, I mean, we we both say, you know, he's probably got about two, three, two to three years probably in the AHL before we're even talking. What's his next step there? And I think he understands that, too. You know, we've heard it in some of his interviews. So it'll be interesting to see his development, something we'll be obviously watching closely. Um, and then the last guy I wanted to talk about, though, you know, I talked about him last episode and uh, made some comments about it. And Nick and I got into a little disagreement on it. But, you know, it was all good. But. Mr. Albert Johansson continues to be the defensive steadiness that the Griffins need back there. Uh, you know, Which another game, no, nothing given on the, how things ended for him last year and how he played last season. I know, you know, nothing on the, the point side of things, but another plus one game now leads the team in plus minus. It's just absolutely insane to see. Like, you know, plus minus, we've talked about it's not really, we don't love the stat for players. It's more of a team stat, but he's an outlier, especially on the defensive side. And, Plus 12, the next closest defenseman is a plus seven, and that's good. Wyatt Newpower has only got 20 games in this year. Albert's got 34 there and just continues to show, like, he he wants the next step. He wants it, you can see. And he's maybe not producing on the offensive side, which you don't really need to in that role. But at the same time, he's not making mistakes and not giving putting the Griffins in a spot where there's a risk for them. He's taking good care of his, his house, his blue line, and – I'm really thrilled with the gameplay we've seen from him the past couple weeks. I mean, I think he's putting Grand Rapids in a huge risk spot. Uh, I mean, if he continues to play like this, I mean, he's either gone next year or he's with the wing. So, I mean, it's it's very risky game that they're playing with this guy, with this prospect. You know, they really don't want to burn him out. They, they need to be able to get him some games in the NHL in the show. It's just taking every word that I said to him last time and paraphrasing it and throwing it right back out there. No, no, not at all. I... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I was doing that. Um, he He's played well. I mean, you can't deny the kid. He he is ready for that next step. And the, the biggest thing that I've seen, too, is he's not – he's not making those mental mistakes. He's not, you know, trying to clear the puck and it's going over the, going over the end boards. There's not points where he's turning over the puck at center ice uh, when we're, you know, up one goal. Uh, I mean, he's playing sound hockey. You, 
that's the best thing that you can do with the defenseman is if you're not calling his name, I mean, that's good, you know, because when we put, you know, other players in that spot that haven't played in a long time, um, you know, my favorite player, you know, we're always constantly calling him out because he's making mistakes, you know, in, in the defensive zone. So in, I mean, not to pick on Jared McIsaac, because like Tuo's done it too. We've seen Simon do it. Like It seems like every defenseman has done it um, at least once or twice this year. But I can't, I really can't think of a time that Albert's done it or Volinder. I think both of those guys have played very well on the blue line and even in, even on the blue line of the other opponent of like not turning the puck over there either to create breakaways for the other team. So, yeah, I mean, he continually impresses. He's very... He's like Taro Hirose on the defense, like very quiet, making the right plays, setting up the guys the right way. Um, and Taro's got all these points. This has been leading the team, which is crazy. <laughs> Not leading the team, but like what? Uh, right. I mean, he's been pretty close. I'll pull up stats real quick. He's, he's still second on the team with only 25 games played. He's missed how much? Taro's yeah. still second on the team in points. It's insane. Well, he's he looked, tied for second, but. And he looked good the other night, too. He did. He looked great back, first game so. back. Yeah, he he had to, he was dealing with that some nagging injury. They wouldn't tell me what it was, but yeah. So it's it's good to see him come back. But going back to he Albert, a, I, he was in a boot. Yeah, I can't probably blocked a shot. They they like to they, you know, media people like I saw him and I'm like, oh, he's in a boot, but I never asked because I I'll never get an answer when it happened. Because same thing for Simon Evanson, which we'll which we'll get to here in a minute. But with, with Albert, I thought early on, I thought his minutes were sheltered. A little bit. I think he was put in situations where he was not going to be a liability early on. But I think with his confidence really growing, I think that helped him immensely because what he didn't have last year was he didn't have a guy in Dan Watson helping bring him over and kind of helping him out and, you know, kind of helping him acclimate to the North American game, which I know sounds dumb and cliche given the fact that international hockey is kind of moving over to the NHL standardized ranks a little bit more over there, but you know, to a lot of Swedes and obviously, you know, players that do play international tournaments in Russia and Finland, a lot of those ranks are still international size. So Albert didn't have that last year. He does this year. And that's, what's really being helpful for, for his development this season is that he has someone that can pull him off to the side and say, Hey, you know, I I've done this for a long time. I know a thing or two about playing defense. Here's what you're doing wrong. Just focus on this. Instead of doing what you're doing here, do this instead. And obviously it's paying off for him. And and I think that's why his role is going to grow more because obviously there's going to be some defensemen that aren't going to be on this team much longer. Simon eventually is going to get called up for sure. And obviously some guys might move on. We'll have to wait and see as the years go on here. He's going to get the bigger minutes eventually. And to Nick's point, yeah, eventually I think, I mean, that is the plan. That is the plan with all these guys to get them to the National Hockey League. And you know, I really view him. I might be dating myself here. Not, not really dating myself. It's it only, it might have been 10 years ago. Now, but he reminds me of Alexei Marchenko, you know, a guy that was solid. He had a lot of upside and, and eventually did make it to the NHL and played for a number of years. So I, I think that if you just give him time and give him that ability to play bigger minutes, he'll develop into obviously a really good top four caliber defenseman. And yeah, to eventually make the NHL and hopefully it's with the Red Wings because, you know, there's there's some old guys on that blue line and eventually they're going to need some young faces on there. You think he moves up next year? 
I don't know. I I have to look at their I'd have to look at their cap friendly and figure out where the spaces would be for the Red Wings. I yeah, he'll probably get his first shot next year for sure. Injuries will happen. Guys will you know have issues and eventually, but I don't think he'll be an everyday guy next year. No. You think he leaves then? The quest to trade like the rumors around Bergy. Yeah, because that, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna buy into the, I'm not gonna buy into those rumors because I think with Albert, I think he just wants to find his, find a way to play, and if if it means going somewhere else, to eventually get a shot in the NHL, sure, you know, but I think if he stays with Detroit, he's gonna have a much better opportunity, especially the way this team is in an upward trajectory right now. I don't know why you'd want to leave this team. If you know that eventually you're going to have a shot to play, you know, cause look at guys. And I know I'm going to, it's going to sound dumb and cliche, but look at guys like Nicholas Cronwell. Look at guys like Jonathan Erickson. They were coming up through the Griffins at a time when the Red Wings had a very good caliber defenseman defense core, and they stuck with it. And Erickson probably could have gone somewhere else. and been a, you know, an NHL defenseman sooner but he stayed with the Red Wings and had a rather fruitful career. Didn't end well. Didn't end well for any of the Red Wings during that time, but you know, he he stuck with the process and he knew what the team was doing and and knew and you know, was kind of guided in his development and it helped out and paid off. So, I think for a guy like Albert and, you know, maybe not heralded as the top prospect if, and defensively for this Red Wings organization, I think you stay with it. I think you just kind of hang out and do your best and when you get called upon, you know, who knows you, you might one day get a chance to get called up and you play well enough and you stay in the top six for the rest of that season. And bam, next thing, like you said, it could be an everyday and That's how this game works. The puck bounces very odd ways sometimes. Yeah. One, one quick it's, follow-up question to that though. Do you think if he goes to Detroit, do I'm you not think the London finally... police chief, I'm not going to say anything stupid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you, do you think if he goes up to Detroit, he'll finally smile? No. <laughs> <laughs> he'll do it. He's probably. always so grumpy. He's always so feisty and, and grumpy every time we see him. Even I've seen him in public and he's been grumpy. So, you know, uh, when we because we interviewed him. What game was it when we interviewed him after the game? Was it wasn't Rockford? Uh, Cleveland. I think it was the win against Cleveland. Um, he scored the two goals. And I remember I was talking to him and we interviewed and I, I guess like Hazel May and all not Hazel May, um, the PR people that were shooting the videos and stuff, they were asking like, like, Hey, you're going to smile this time. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. We'll see. And, you know, I tried to butter him up a little bit and, you know, it's some, sometimes some of those guys, they're, they're very nervous about coming out of their shell, right? Like that they're, you know, hockey players are, they're known for being robots and whatever. They don't want to show too much emotion. Don't want to cause a stir with, personality and hurt the room or all that old time nonsense. You know, I think eventually he'll come out of his shell, but you know, he, you know, if he scores a few more goals, we keep putting him in front of the camera in the locker room and the post game pressers, you know, he'll, he'll eventually give us a smirk. Maybe. I like that. That's not just like a thing that we joke about on here, that it's something joked about within the organization. It sounds like, because we always talk about, oh, he never smiles and hearing that someone down there said that that's makes it even funnier, but you know, Talk about getting out of their shell. I mean, the same look at Simon Evanson and Bergie lately. They are completely out of their shell finally. You know, Bergie five or three months ago were like, he he doesn't want to be here. And now it's at the point where maybe he doesn't want to be here. Sure, he'd rather be in the NHL, but he's having a heck of a lot more fun, which is a great transition to talk about the uh, AHL All-Star game. You know, 
that's that's where he's at right now. He's currently happening. The Central's playing as we speak. Uh, they're up three to nothing on the Atlantic in the first game here. He hasn't scored yet though, but you know they they're having fun. You know we we saw the post game interview of Simon Evanson after he beat up Angus Crookshank and you got Bergie chanting Rocky in the background. Like those two guys are having fun. It's super. It's a bummer that Simon's got this little injury that kept him from going to the game. Oh no! I say yeah. I would like to see him too. Um, I can't remember, and I I asked about it, but I was neither confirm nor deny. But he was was a road game. He got hit. Wasn't Chicago? Was it the one that he had the weird like where he got dazed pretty bad afterwards? Yes, that was in Manitoba. Manitoba. Yes, it was against Manitoba. He got hit, and it was late in the game, and he just looked awkward. And I'm like, oof, you know, like you know, who knows what that could have been, and. Like man, that's that that doesn't look good. Doesn't really phase well for for what could be moving forward. But I, I'm not sure if that's it. But when I was told it was a nagging injury, I I dated it back to that. But once again, I don't know for sure. He could have had a shot blocked in practice or took a stick somewhere during a game in a net front battle. Who knows? So I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna go too far deep. But I just I I understand why players sit out for for injury and whatnot, and it's smart. You know I I think he would. I, it's funny like looking at Evans and I would try to think what event could he do as a defenseman because he's he's good enough. Like he could do hardest shot, but it's, it's his shot's not. He's gonna probably hate it if he hears this, but I, his shot's not that hard. Um. Once he again, shows up I, there, he gets plus 100. I mean, he struggled for anyone there to get over 100 last night. I think only two guys did it. Yeah, I, know, <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, better I mean, than Dadias. <laughs> Who's? Dadias. Dadias. <laughs> I, always, <laughs> I always flip them back and forth every episode. I'm going to tell him you said that. Um, no, it's, but like, like, it's fun. Like, he's, I don't say accuracy shooting because it'd be weird to see a defenseman in that, even though Ray Bork did it back in the day, but. Like Bergeron is like, all right, he'll do pass, shoot, and score. Maybe puck control, relay. Maybe like, and I'm like, I was like, oh, he has, you know, he's got these great shots, accuracy shooting. I'm like, listen to him during the press during any press conference. He does not think he's a goal scorer. <laughs> it, it's no, funny it's to weird. Hear. And I mean, they he only participated really in one event. It was like the relay thing uh, for puck control, relay, and then he was obviously in the three on goalie. Uh, I don't remember what the what they call so that whole stupid pass, shoot, and score. It's the stupidest thing ever hey like, some of the goalies had fun with it ask her off you know well, yeah we have fun with it but it's like i hate i mean maybe it's because i'm used to facing a bunch of two on those three on those during games i'd be sick of it but like i would just start throwing my stick at people i'd like lay it out there and have them go around me like i i don't know i i'm not a fan because i just know my groin would split in half even if i was fully healthy and you know limb as nimble as i was back in the day but that's just me. That's just the goalie union and representative in me. I mean, and to voice my opinion, and even though it's going to be lost upon the the powers that be. I mean, Askarov threw his stick and blocker to get the puck off someone's. Yeah, stick, but he's so, been doing that know. forever. Is the Askarov stick Twitter profile still out there? Like that was a big thing. Oh, in yeah. Juniors one game, like the semifinal against Canada all those years ago. Like he just he couldn't hold on to his stick. So seeing that, I'm like, oh, hey, he still does it. That's good. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to see at least Bergie at the All Star game. I I can tell he's having fun with it. Nice he, like segue, I said, cookie. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, you know he definitely didn't get to participate in too many of the events, but at the same time, it's fun seeing him there. I mean, the highlight for me in the event's been Griff the whole time. He's just having a freaking blast out there. I've seen him on the camera more than I've seen half the players at this point. 
it's been fantastic. Um, but you know, the AHL again doing my favorite thing, and I think Nick's favorite thing too during the skills competition, taking down the side glass up and down the rink, letting the fans that are sitting down close get that up close experience with their favorite players. It's one of the coolest things, and I don't know how the NHL hasn't adopted it. But the AHL doing that, it's such a cool thing to see. I thought it was just a little ball thing last year, but nope, they did it in San Jose again. And- oh, they did that in 04, back when they had it in Grand Rapids. And that was the coolest thing ever because, I, like I said, the NHL, they they always have the glass up, and that could be a security thing, and I, and I get that. I don't think a bunch of fans at an AHL All-Star game would be jumping over. I'm not sure – I. I'm not sure if they do this for the ECHL. They might. Someone have to correct me on that. I don't know if they do. But what's cool is that, like, that year, especially in 04, if you look back at the rosters, they were like in Grand Rapids. We had there was Cronwall, quite he did, yeah, Cronwall, Richards, Travis Richards, Nathan Robinson actually got hurt during the fastest skater, which is unfortunate. But right. And then Yuri Hoodler was also in it. But there was Matt Herr. Maddie Herr, for those that don't know, was the captain of the 98 Michigan team that won the national championship. He was at, with Providence at the time. And so I got to be like next to him. And Ray Emery was there too. Ray Emery was with Binghamton at the time. And for me, and I remember he was just, you know, stretching out, you know, during, you know, before the skills comp and we walked down by the dasher and, and I remember I'm just sitting there, I'm like, like, Oh, Ray Emery. Hey. And I think this was like, right. Or I think it was before he did the whole thing where he flipped over the big pile and got in that big melee with, with the, the phantoms all those years ago. And, but I remember he was sitting there just talking with us and I'm like, Hey, you're a pretty cool guy. I'm like, Hey man, good luck to you. Maybe you'll make it one day. And, you know, led the senators to the Stanley cup finals a couple years later. Like it was like, you know, rest in peace razor. But like, that, that was one of the cool things, you know, just being able to interact, you know, without having decides you can just straight up just say, Hey, look, Yuri Hudler. Hey, man, good to see you. How are you doing, man? Yeah, it's one thing. Like, I know the NHL is a show, right? It's an entertainment business at the end of the day, too. And there's a lot of focus on you know the celebrity aspect and stuff like that. But being able to turn on the NHL All Star activities and just watching the simplicity of it, and one, it's way more well organized, first of all, too, which is mind blowing. But just how simple they keep, they keep it to the game itself and really focus on the fans and those players. They just do an incredible job with it. And I'm, I know we're recording during the actual all-star tournament, the game. Uh, so I'll definitely be rewatching it after we're done here. But it, it's, I hope everyone that got the chance to tune in, it's free to watch on AHL TV. You don't have to pay for a subscription to watch it. I hope everyone got to tune in and watch some of it or goes back and watches some because it's worth it. And the three on three games are an absolute riot either they're super intense or they're hilarious and just while we were talking just glancing Askarov was the first goalie in for the central and he was being Askarov. he's being an absolute character and that's that's just fun to see that side of the players come out in the game format not that he doesn't do that stuff in game already anyways but who knows you know you wish you wish uh the early parts of the season would have gone better for the griffins i think we'd be looking at a cosa in the all-star game but that's just me I think yeah, Kosa would take it too hard. <laughs> he would be he'd try too hard, I think. Nah, I think he's got that personality where you have fun. Yeah, I'm hoping. I was thinking the same thing uh, last night, Brandon. I was like, you know, Kosa, I could see Kosa here next year. I mean, the, following what he's been doing this year, if, you, if they do pretty well next year, I mean, I could see him there. But the other thing that I liked on this is not only did they keep it simple for the fans, they kept it simple for the players. But the players actually gave a damn. Like, 
I, I didn't watch the NHL one because I had to work, but I saw the clips on Twitter and Kucherov just showed up. Like it sounded like a lot of the players just showed up and didn't really well care or try. Unfortunately, or... Kucherov was the one that everyone looked at because Kucherov doesn't care. He Kucher no, but like if you watched um like I think the skills competition was a lot better because with a million dollars on the line for one player, like a lot of guys took it seriously and McDavid during the final relay that they had the during the obstacle course at the end, he only had to finish like second because I think was it Barzell that was first at the time. He where, I can't remember who was leading it, but it was a really good time. And McDavid's like, no, I'm gonna go full tilt, and he went as hard as he could and beat it like you had to go through a bunch of stuff, and you had to put the puck into like a little hole in the net, and your time was done. And he beat it by like three seconds, like he. I will say like it, like the all-star game itself, the on Saturday, like it, you know, it got good at certain points, like competitive when the games are close towards the end. But I think the skills competition was better. I mean, I'm old school. I like the old school ways of having East versus West, just like the American hockey league does it. Um, I do like how they do the round robin thing, make it, make the players play a little more often. It makes, you don't have to sit around as much uh, in between the games like they do for the NHL. But I just, I, I like, I've, I always look forward to the skills competitions, whatever, whichever league it is, because guys will have some fun with it. And with, you know, hardest shots, always fun. Cause you see guys try way too hard to take a 30 foot slap shot. Um, some better or worse. I'd like to see, I saw, I like to see that, uh, Ethan Frank won the, uh, fastest skater again last night, Western Michigan Bronco doing it back to back years, which I not sure if that's been done He's before. So fast. Yeah, overall, it's a good event, and I hope everyone got to enjoy it. I definitely did, or so far, I still am. But yeah, good stuff. I need they need to bring it back to Grand Rapids, hundred percent. Please soon. I was about to say it's but, been twenty years. I know it's crazy. Anyways, I can go on about that all night. We had a couple questions from some listeners, so we got to get to those. I know this has been long already, so let's get through these here and wrap this thing up. Uh, but tonight had some longer topics that needed to be talked about. So first question. It is from Draper underscore 32. I love me some Kosa. Wait, Dra- hold, hold on. Hold on. Draper 32? Yeah. That's not his number, though. You know, the nut was probably taken. Well, then do <laughs> like Draper not 33 or is 33. I don't know. Well, he didn't want to give away that it was really Chris Draper. It's yeah, actually Chris, Chris, Draper's burner, right, Chris Draper's burner account. But the, the comment was, I love me some COSA updates and talk. Projections and hopes for him from now until the end of the season. Possibly a playoff run with how hot the squad has been looking. I think we kind of covered that a little bit earlier. I mean, thoughts and projections. Dan's not going to just give him the starter spot. Dan likes to run two goalies. We've already proven that. And playoffs? I mean, playoffs? God, the way, the way they're playing right now, I don't see why not. I All for it. Let's go. But I don't know, you guys have anything you want to add on Coast? Not that we've already lose. said enough about Coast. Sorry, they're not going to lose a game the rest of the season. We're this never going to lose, never lose again. Season. They will. This team will never lose again. Gonna go Nick full... finally just started watching Shorzy. Can you tell? <laughs> oh, you guys have. Ne- I've. Oh my goodness. I. I've, Nick had. I, and I have. I'm. I'm. I'm caught up. Don't worry. I love that show. It's. It's. What's funny too is having played senior ho- hockey, whatever. Not not yeah. the no show, which unfortunately is a league that does not exist. Uh, there's some truth to it, and it's pretty. It's that's what makes it kind of cool. And yeah, 
it's small town hockey is it's the best hockey especially in ontario we'll get, um, we'll get you on a summer episode and let you tell stories well oh gosh <laughs> i don't know oh, i have to think of how many stories i can tell legally um but no uh <laughs> the or cosa yes uh, i think what's going to happen is with with how the season's going to end watson especially i mean in the playoffs you want to have and i know they're <laughs> So I, I can I say this now that without, without getting in trouble, um, no, just do the, it. The there's with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Chicago Wolves nonsense. There were I'll, I'll just for the sake of this conversation rumors that there were people in the upper brass in Carolina calling down to the Chicago Wolves to be playing certain guys during their run to the Calder Cup, and that's what uh, when things went south last year, when the team, when the wolves were not as good and far off the pace of being a Calder cup championship team, uh, that's how that relationship sour saying, Hey, you wanted us to do this last year. Now you want us to do this there. Once again, that those are rumors. Um, but, uh, with, with Costa, I think they're going to, the wings obviously are going to want Costa to play the big games because they want him to be ready to play big time hockey. But, that said, when you come to playoff time, you want to see how this team can do on a long run. You know, when we when I talked with Horikoff and even Eisman's been on the record and say this as well, they want to develop players, but they also want them to play in important games. So when they do have to play in big games in the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs, as the Wings want to do down the line, they're ready to go. And I'm not saying Coast is going to be doing that in two years or three years, but that experience now will help him moving forward. That said, though, if he just completely has a horrible month of March and Michael Hutchinson gets red hot, wins four or five starts in a row, it's going to be hard for Dan Watson, even if there is, you know, persuasion from above. Like, guys, we want to win some playoff games here. We want to win this thing. Why would we go with a goaltender that can't do it? Now, if you look at the last two, the two Calder Cups, the Griffins had Peter Mrazek in 2013. And that kind of worked out because, hey, Peter Morazic's the NHL prospect, and he was pretty good. And all of a sudden, I have a brain fart in 2017. Was it? No. Jimmy Howard? No. 2017? Jared Corrow. Jared Corrow, yeah. And NHL-ready goaltender, as we saw. The guy started in the Centennial Classic, for goodness sakes. I mean, he he was a big part of the wings for uh, for for that season and obviously helped the team win the, with the Calder Cup. So... You were able to those two years ride the the prospect of goaltender to the championship. If Costa keeps up the way he is now, yes, I would not I would not be shocked if you know it wouldn't Danny wouldn't have to get any say, hey, you should play. No, he'll be like, Yeah, Costa's our guy. And you know, nothing against Michael Hutchinson. He's he's been in the Stanley Cup playoffs before. Remember that the the during the COVID year at the bubble in Edmonton when all the avalanche goaltenders started dropping like flies. He dang near won them that series against Edmonton or not Edmonton, Dallas, excuse me, before they, before Dallas ended up pulling it out. So I, I like the fact that Kosa can show that he's much more mature. And I, I do believe if he just stays the course and plays good enough that he can be the guy. If the Griffins make it to the postseason. I think last year with Watson, in Kosa last year in the playoffs, I think what they did was they did like two games in a row for Kosa, two games in a row for Lethemon. Do you think that kind of plays a strategy against the other team because they can't get used to the same guy in net? Or do you think it just kind of sticks like it doesn't matter who they're playing against in net? 
you know, I, I think last year with Toledo, there was just that confidence that no matter who was in that, they could win because they'd been both so good, even when they were splitting time. And with that, because they did it so much that when you got to the playoffs, you don't really want to change what's been working for you. Right. And they, they darn near did it. You know, they almost made it all the way to the Cali Cup final. So I, I can see why that'd be the case if they keep moving it forward, but we've seen stretches this season where Hutchinson gets three or four in a row, then Kosa gets two or three in a row. And obviously I think Hutchinson's got more of the long stretches compared to Kosa, which at one point, that's why I'm thinking to myself, are they going to, are they just playing Hutchinson to trade him? Is that what the deal is right now? But obviously it hasn't happened, but you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they, if they keep splitting them, if they split them pretty equally towards the end and they're both playing well. And because in the playoffs, you don't get many back-to-backs, so you don't have to worry about that too much in the American League as you would the with the NHL and the ECH, or not in the NHL, but in the ECHL. But, you know, I like I don't know. That's actually a really good point. I'd have to talk to Dan, but I'm pretty sure if I ask him about that now, he's like, it's February. And and so when April comes around, him and I will have a heart-to-heart. We'll, uh, we'll, we will discuss between the two of us who should start in goal, and he will totally listen to me and uh, and hear my opinions out. He, yeah. It sounds like he is a he's a patient guy. He is open to listening, so you you might have a chance there, Tyler. Oh, but no, it, no, he'll, he'll he's patient. He'll listen to me, but I'm guarantee it's just going to go swoop and swoop out the other ear, and then just whatever. And then like, oh yeah, thanks, Tyler. I'll keep that in mind. And just <laughs> he's good at tiptoeing around certain questions. I'll give him that. He's, he's really good. Tyler or Dan? Coach. Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> so you you would say though tyler is playoff hockey is important for this organization for developing prospects oh 100 and and having and even when i cover the white caps when i talk with um my when guys come down from the tigers or guys that come down from um and i speak with the managers like they they get the message even if it's single a baseball with the white caps like they strive to make the playoffs because even though it's a short playoffs, they don't play as many games as you would be in Major League Baseball or whatever. They want their young kids to get that experience of playing very important games, do or die games, because, you know, to show that they can come in clutch and they don't crumble under the pressure. And it comes to the same thing with the Red Wings, especially with the Griffins being right below them. You know, when they call up a guy in the, you know, for late in the season or have a guy maybe be a black ace that must, that maybe has to get inserted in the playoffs coming up. You know, I mean, Justin Ablicator was one of those guys right out of college, came right into Detroit, played a game, played a couple playoff games, was big in the 09 playoffs as well. Like, you know, he, he was important and it's because he played so many big games in college and being a national champion with Michigan State. And I know he didn't get that much time with with Grand Rapids in the playoffs before he went to Detroit and obviously be, once he, once then became a full time NHLer. But knowing that you can entrust a guy to play in key moments when he's called upon without even, you know, doesn't need a full season of playing in the NHL to be ready. He can just be like, snap his fingers. All right, Bergeron, we need you to play game four tonight. You know, I know you haven't played all series, but we need you in and they can come in big. Like that's something that's, that's honestly a uh, something management, upper management, Iserman and the Korkoff and all those guys will look at and say, Hey, you know, can we trust this guy in this important game? And the fact that, Hey, we can look back and say, Hey, Bergeron did this, during this playoff series and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully 2024 say, Hey, we can entrust him to step up when we need him to. So yeah, it's, it's important to develop, but with development rising to the occasion is so important in, in knowing a player's worth and eventual prospect of 
being a big guy for the NHL team. I have to agree with you. Don't do that, Nick. That's a horrible idea. I might have just I'll said have other, I'll have other comments for Nick after we're done recording. Uh, um, anyways, next question was what's the other uh, question? Ron, <laughs> it was from Ron in Sports Talk. He asked if we had a YouTube. Yeah, we do. You are hopefully watching us on it right now. No, Nick Hi, already Ron. answered that one on Twitter. Um, Randy Zick, our boy Randy, he had two questions: playoff run, definitely, or just squeaking in? Question mark. I'm gonna say definitely. I'm feeling definitely. I don't know. Second seed. Second seed. We're locked. Let me look at the schedule coming up here. Uh Oh, he's going to analyze it. Well, he's going to make me eat my words. Well, you have two games against Manitoba and I'm not going to say, oh, those are easy wins because we saw how it went the last time. Cleveland is a really good team right now. You have them coming up next week. You have a home and home against them. They are looking really good in that North division um, just because Columbus doesn't. And the fact that David Yurichek's back down because Columbus decides we don't need to have a good hockey team this year. Cleveland's going to be getting that. Um, You get Rockford again, and then you have two big games. And I think you have a three game stretch at the end of this month. That's going to be the measuring stick on whether or not I, I do think the Griffins will make the playoffs. But I think the two games, there's a three-game homestand, two against Texas, one against Milwaukee. That'll be a stretch where, especially since it's at home, I think if they play well, I think, all right, then we'll have to see how they do on the road. But I think if they put out a really good effort in those three games in a row, games that, you know, if you drop points, who knows what will happen with Rockford and Chicago. They might climb up in, during that time if, if the Griffins fall flat. But if they step up against Texas and Milwaukee, yeah, I think this team could be a second place team if they stay healthy, if the Red Wings stay healthy so they can keep some of the guys down here. I do think they could be a second place team. But the fact that we haven't played Milwaukee a whole lot this year, we have a few more games coming up against them. And if the Admirals stay hot, you know, that's going to be so, so really some important games to see. You know, they might fall back to third if they start to stumble here, because with so many games against your division opponents, you lose a couple. Especially if you, you know, you play Iowa a couple more times. If you don't step up and rise to the occasion against them, you know what? They get closer to you guys. And we still play Chicago. I think we have Chicago, what, six more times? Like, I, I, it's, and if, we, we can't take them lightly anymore because, my goodness, we never took them lightly in the first place. But now they're one of the hottest teams in the division. We don't even realize it. So I'm not going to say yes or no to squeaking in or, or, you know, having a good spot and having a buy, but, you know, there's a chance the Griffins might lose four in a row at some point this year. And then we're all saying, Oh my gosh, we're going to be lucky if we get fourth or something like that. Right. So, you know, I I'm going to, I'm going to let that question slide. Maybe ask me in a month. Maybe I'll feel more confident. The second part of Randy's thing was, do we have a possible timeline for uh, Matt Luff return? And yes, Randy uh, it was mentioned during the wing wheel podcast night uh, in Grand Rapids during Matt Luff's interview. Uh, he was cleared for contact last Tuesday. So we're probably looking before the end of the month. We see Luff return to the lineup. You know, it's good to see Hiroshi come back. And Dan's going to have some interesting lineup decisions to make here pretty soon. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, that'll be important because Luff had a really good start to the year and last year. And I, and you know, when, when you get sent, when you come down from being, I guess he was an everyday, everyday in with Nashville, but he was a prominent figure on the roster while he was there. And, you know, he kind of, he took his took his lumps, but came up and stepped up and played well in a short time and earned the call back up to Detroit. Um, 
with the question is the way the team's playing in Detroit right now, even if Luff comes back and, you know, is going in guns a blazing, he might be here for a number of games, which obviously for the Griffins, you want to use that to your advantage. So I think it'll be a choppy start for him because he's been on the lineup so long, but you know, certainly good to see him coming back soon. I'm interested to see how he fits into this lineup because I, I don't know where the space is for him anymore. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's obviously one of our better players, so he's going to be in near the top, top six. I would right. assume. So somebody's going to get bumped and somebody at the bottom is going to get a, a huge bump uh, with their line mates, which will be good. Well, you can have the lineup of, because uh, I kind of called it with uh, with Gettinger, Zarnik, and Aston Reese, the should be NHLers line. And you can just put Luff on that one. The should be NHLers with Zarnik and Aston Reese. Does that mean you can bump Mazer down to the Casper Berge line and that line just becomes a party? Please and thank you. Berger just sitting there just feeding pucks across and Mazer's just skating through with a stick flying up in the air, driving hard to the net. It's great. I, I want I want to see that line. What's one game? I need one game of that line. All right. Last question was from Burner. I don't know if it's someone's Burner account or what, but uh, we already have Draper's Burner account. Maybe this one's Eisman's Burner because I don't think Eisman's really flashy. He probably just has one called Burner. Yeah. How is uh how's Soderblom looked? Was the question. Not Bambi. Not Bambi like anymore. I in my opinion, Soderblom is Soderblom. So I hate how his brothers say their names differently. They're related and they say it differently. It drives me nuts. I catch myself saying both ways. Soderblom, as he calls himself, I'm I'm not at the point where I'm saying that he's got that point with the Red Wings anytime soon. But who knows? He could surprise me. He's played really well the past four or five games, uh, especially when Steve Eiserman was in the building. Was probably his. Those two games that weekend against Belleville were his best games of the season by far. And you know when he scored that goal against them, I don't think I've seen him smile more than I've ever seen him smile in that game. So I want nothing more than the kid to be successful. I want him to get back to that point where he is talked about coming up to Detroit. He's that first call up, but we got a ways to go there. He's got to find that consistency and he's got to continue to play with an edge. If he's aggressive, throws his body and continues to use his size, he can be a dominant player, but he's got to do it every time he steps in the ice, not just when he feels like it. Yeah, I definitely feel like Steve had to have said something to him like, hey, we need you to kind of emulate, you know, Michael Rasmussen, tall guy, be aggressive, because he has been, like, checking people a little bit more. He's been more physical, which has helped his game, like, a ton. Like, we're noticing that more than we're noticing how clumsy he looks on skates. So, I mean, he, he's getting better. I'm hoping that the all-star break kind of gives all the boys a little bit of a break, clear up any injuries that they have. And then he just kind of goes on this tear. Um, and maybe we can, we can look back at it later of like when Rasmussen said, I want to be better at hockey. Like maybe this is Elmer Soderboom's like time of coming out of like, okay, I got to be more physical. I need to skate harder, be faster. Like these are the things that make my game really stand out uh, because his mitts are silky. Like he's got it. He can he can dangle the puck. He can get around people. He can do it. He has all the tools. He just needs to put them together. Yeah, because for me, the big part about Serblon's game is other than the fact that it seemed like he would be hit, he'd fall down, is the fact that I for his size, he should be able to stick both legs out about 10 feet wide apart and drive the net with that long reach. And you know a guy that was a little bit shorter than him, but was able to do that and do it so well was Yarmir Yager. He would have a defenseman sized stick in length 
and be able to dangle around everyone. But also he used leverage. He used his, as he'd probably exclaim, explain it as well, his big fat behind, his big check behind. And, you know, use that to his advantage because, you know, people think puck possession and individual puck possession, sick handling and being able to control the puck by yourself. It's all about your hands, how quick you can move your hands, how you can dangle through pylons and through sticks and through feet and all that stuff. It's also about how you position the puck and where you position it while you're skating and how you can make how you can make plays with the puck by yourself with as limited I don't want to use the word dribbling, but limited dribbling as possible. Limited movement of the puck with actually moving it back and forth. Just being able to stick it out with maybe even one hand or two hands or whatever, and just lean that shoulder in and make a play. Pavel Datsuk was one of the best at it. I know people love to look at the fact that you could dangle around and make Logan Couture, you know, break his ankles and have San Jose Sharks run into him. They all love those highlights. But if you watch back his game, what he was really good at was along the boards, especially because Datsuk wasn't a big guy. He would use leverage and he use the weight on his stick to be able to hold the puck in the corner, being pinned to the boards and still work it free and make a play on it. And Zetterberg was great at it as well. And like, and Zetterberg is not a big guy either. You know, Soderblom is huge. So if he's able to kind of find that tool set, of being able to use his size to his advantage. He was, he's going to be a dangerous hockey player because that's what something Joe Thornton got really good at eventually and became one of the best passers in our game. But being able to use his size and keep the puck away from other players by using his reach and using, you know, the strength on his stick. So I think if Soderblom gets that, works on his edge work a little bit more, I think, I mean, the sky's the limit with the kid. He's almost there, how tall he is. So I, but it's just little things like that that are going to, elevate him from a good hockey player to a great hockey player. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, we all want him to be a good hockey player. We've seen the glimpse of glimpses of him being able to do it. I think last year putting him on the opening night roster. I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to put words. In, I think it gave him too much confidence. I think he got a little overconfident and thought, man, I'm here already. I'm 18 years old. Sweet. I can make, do this forever. They're on the Redwood line with, you know, him, Rasmussen and Sunquist. They're great. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. But you know, I think he, he didn't, I don't want to sound like an old man. He didn't work hard enough and didn't cut his teeth enough and pay his dues. And I don't want to do all that nonsense, but I think he was missing some of that. You know, and I think if he plays with a chip on his shoulder a little bit more, I think he'll be, uh, I think he'll have a little bit more to give, I think, than he would when he was thrown right into the NHL. Yeah, for sure. Well, that wraps up all of our questions this week. Thanks to everyone for submitting those. Appreciate it. Now, this episode's run pretty long, so I think it's a good time to wrap it up. Tyler, this is the time we give you your space. Tell the people where to find you and what you're working on. At the at the Twitters, the X, I, I do. I should probably apologize. The reason I think the reason why we ran this long is probably because of me rambling. So as I ramble here at, at this stage of the show uh, at TJKU 29, you can find me. I do lots of stuff for daily Faceoff covering the, the professional women's hockey league. That's in full swing. Well, it's actually in a pause right now because I got the rivalry series, the final three games of Canada, the USA. I got something on that coming up tomorrow, tomorrow. Yes. On daily face off, as well as I also write for college hockey news. I got a couple interviews for that. That's going to lead to future pieces. And I also write, of course, for the Griffins at MLive.com and the white caps too. And, uh, um, 
uh oh uh no yeah i do have a i did release uh, last week a really cool piece about michigan hockey michigan women's hockey that there needs to be more of that uh there needs to be an ncaa d1 team i talked to a lot of players from pwhl and from at michigan too uh that was pretty cool got a lot of people to like that so if you haven't read it yet go ahead and check it out it's uh it's it's on my threads page too if you go over my threads anyone does anyone do threads we try to. We just forget about its existence half the time. Yeah. But yeah, we'll make sure to throw there. that. We'll throw that article in the description as well. There's so people can go check that out. And yeah, your coverage of the professional women's hockey league is great too. Uh, great league. People should definitely be checking that out. It's super exciting, and you cover almost every game almost right now. You're posting stuff about, right? I do on Twitter. I we don't write like game by game recaps like, uh, like yeah. some do, but we do like you know we do like our rankings. We'll do. We have some features. I wrote something on Minnesota GM Natalie Darwitz, which is cool. Uh, cause she was super, like, we, we talked for like 45 minutes. Like that's the one thing about the women's league that you don't really get with the NHL. Like these players and these managers and coaches, they just want to like, they're just happy that like, they're happy that we're covering the league and promoting it. And they'll just talk with us forever. I, I did an interview with a player. I think I used two of their quotes in that Michigan piece. I think we talked for an hour. Half of it was about dogs, but they're just, they're just happy that, you know, it's fun to talk. It's fun to talk to them. They're so much more open. It's, it's enjoyable. Like, they don't care. They have nowhere to be. They're professional women's hockey players now. They have they have lots of time on their hands, which is good because that's what they deserve. They deserve to be professionals, and that's it. They shouldn't have to go to a day job then go play Montreal in the fifth game of a playoff series. They should no. They're professionals now. It's great. I'm happy. Absolutely. But no, thank you for thank thank you for all that. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you for coming on and talking about all this too. Uh, Nick, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in before we wrap this up? Yeah, Tyler, you know what you really need right now is uh, everything hockey hoodie. Uh, use code discount West and uh, you get 10% off. We just got ours uh, this week. That's Good a luck. nice plug, Nick. Way to go. You're welcome. Take the ad read out of my mouth. Look at you. I, I, was, I was working on it all day. <laughs> that was like that was the uh the almost the wayne's world uh part of the movie where they start showing all the ads and like all the sponsors and stuff I'm like look at this here I'm like pizza hut yeah it is a choice choice of a new generation we're getting close <laughs> to that of, point for any of those kids right. out there wayne's world was a movie in the early 90s that featured <laughs> young mike myers and dana carvey it was an snl skit turned movie it was great it was fantastic they made fun of tim hortons in it it was great Thank you, Nick, for throwing that out there. Yes, go to everythinghockey.com. Use code WEST, get 10% off, and it helps out the show. Appreciate everyone for that. Uh, thank you to our Patreon listeners, Randy Zick, Michael Asante, uh, Spencer, who had just joined uh, last week. And we have a birthday. It's mine? Our, it's our podcast birthday. As of Oh, six, yeah, tomorrow it is. You're right. So one we year. made it one year. Thank you to all you listeners to keep pushing us uh, to continue doing this. Thank you, yeah, Tyler, we'll... for coming on, hanging out, helping yeah. me bury Brandon in this episode. Yeah, I've been doing that for the, the years. The fights had after this one. Uh, but yes, thank you to everyone for listening over the last year. We appreciate it. We'll dive more into what the last year has been like on Thursday. But thank you again, everyone. Thank you to Hockey Podcast Network for being great partners. Thank you to DraftKings for being great sponsors. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week. Go Walleye, go Griffins, and we'll see you all on Thursday. Love you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Hockeytown West podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at HockeytownWPod 
and your host, Nick at GR Hockey Guy and Brandon at Brandon GR Hockey.